So today's sermon is entitled, The Forgotten Doctrine, with the subtext that this is a a sermon on giving thanks. So I know sometimes I, I, I force you to get halfway through a sermon before you even know where I'm going, but this morning, you can know exactly where we're going with this, <laughs> a sermon on giving thanks. There are a number of Christian classics in literature. Mere Christianity, Steps to Christ, The Pilgrim's Progress, but there is a, a less known book that I believe deserves to be on the same shelf with some of those other heavy hitters. In the early 18th century, an English pastor by the name of William Law, he wrote a book entitled, A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. In it, he wrote this. Would you know who is greatest saint in the world? It is not he who prays most or fasts most, It is not he who gives most alms or is more eminent for temperance, chastity, or justice, but it is he who is always thankful to God. Now, obviously, this is simply the opinion of one man. But I think that he was on to something. And this morning, I hope to present a clear case from the Bible as to why I agree with this assessment from William Law. I chose today's sermon title because I believe that giving thanks is the forgotten doctrine of the church. Do you realize that every time you see Jesus handling food in the Bible, that he gives thanks for it? There are almost as many instances of Jesus giving thanks as there are of Jesus praying. And he didn't just give thanks when he broke bread, had food. He gave thanks in other areas as well. And so I'd like to show you a few of those. Matthew eleven twenty five. it says, At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. We find this same instance being spoken in Luke 10, 21. But then talking about the food, uh, before feeding the 4,000, we find this in Matthew 15, 36. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples and the disciples gave to the multitude. And this action is also recorded in Mark 8, 6. So that was the the 4,000, but then there was another instance where he feeds 5,000. Now, I've actually, I've mentioned this story twice this uh, week. I I mentioned it once with the, the freshmen and sophomores at Parkview on Tuesday, but then also Wednesday night on the prayer stream so if, if you were privy to either of those, I apologize for saying it again. But I, just, I, I think that this is important, and it's, it's, it's pretty cool. We always talk about Jesus feeding the 4,000 and the 5,000, and that's an astronomical number. I mean, that, that's a lot of people to feed from a, a few pieces of bread and fish. But when you look at the text, you realize that this is written in the typical Hebrew mindset. It says that there were 4,000 men. It says that there were 5,000 men. 
This isn't counting the women and the children. So when you read that story the next time of Jesus feeding 5,000, understand that odds are he was probably feeding closer to 10,000 or more. I mean, it's still miraculous, but I mean, to me, it makes the miracle even bigger, even grander. But anyway, so before feeding the 5,000 men and all that were with them, we see this. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Before raising Lazarus from the dead, we come across this verse. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. In the upper room, while hosting the the first communion service with his disciples, we find Jesus doing this. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again with the wine, then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. You see, Jesus was all about giving thanks. As our example, I believe that we should strive to follow his lead. Over the last two weeks, we talked a lot about faith. And there are a number of good things that faith can offer to benefit our spirit. We may be living good lives. We may be living out love and generosity and reflecting high moral standards, practicing justice and treating others how we would like to be treated. These are all good things. Giving thanks is also one of these good things. But how often do we find ourselves making use of that one the least? Before we go too much further, we must be able to tell the difference between polite gratitude and real gratitude. This isn't about sending a thank you note because you feel obligated to do so. This isn't about saying thank you to your server out of habit when they place your food down in front of you. No, the real thing is deep, lasting, and heartfelt appreciation for your blessings. To thank is to think. To thank is to think. Why do I say that? Because the English word thank, it comes from an old German root word that means to think. In the old days, To thank came from the idea of continuing to think about some good thing that was done for you. You'd ponder it. You'd meditate on it. To be thankful was not the same as quickly forgetting your blessings. And so in connection with true thankfulness or gratitude, I say this, to thank is to think. Now, As I've said on a number of occasions, I believe that God blesses us every single day. 
every single day. Now, sometimes we're too busy or too flustered to see many of these blessings, and this is why we should take something else into consideration. Don't forget to count. Don't forget to count. Giving thanks can help prevent us from taking our blessings for granted. It's easy to let the blessings slide right on by. Life moves fast. It's hectic and it's ever-changing. It's so simple to move on to the next need, the next goal, or the next problem, and to completely forget about the blessings. This past week, I read a little interview that struck a chord with me. The interviewer was talking to a school principal who said, I'm tired. And the interviewer asked, well, why, why are you tired? And the principal responded, everyone has a complaint. Just this week, I got a dozen letters and calls from complaining parents. The interviewer interjected, but surely some people are happy with the school. The principal then said, yes, almost everyone is, but those I rarely hear from. I only hear from folks when they think something is wrong. Pretty much anyone who works with people will offer similar sentiments. I've experienced this throughout my ministry. There are some, and many of you are sitting in this room or, or watching online that reach out to me in various ways to offer encouragement, to pray for me, to give thanks and gratitude, even bringing new and creative ministry ideas to the church. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. Let me just put a little plug there. If you, if you have ministry ideas, let me know. Because all this stuff that, that, that we do and have done in the past, this isn't all coming from my brain. <laughs> I can't take credit from it. A lot of the really cool things that we've done in this church have been ideas that you have brought forward to myself or the elders or a board member. But still others offer a mixed bag, coming to me with both positive and negatives. And I'm totally good with that. I'm totally good with that. I appreciate that. But there are some who only care to talk to me if they have complaints or concerns or frustrations to air. And it further adds insult to injury when the insight or recommendations I offer on how to fix the issue or get involved are just disregarded. It can be exhausting, toxic, and draining. And if we all don't keep counting our blessings, any of us can fall right into this same way of thinking and acting. It's easy for the bad stuff to build up, and once it starts pouring out, it can be difficult to stop it. But counting can keep us from complaining. Yet sadly, this seems to be a rarity amongst humanity. Many of us experience this in our own daily lives, but imagine how God feels 
How must God feel? How often do we go to him with our complaints, anger, and frustrations while forgetting to thank him for his many blessings? I think it's okay to go with him, you know, to go to him with the mixed bag. But when we forget about the good, how does it make him feel? And when it comes to the positives and the negatives in our prayer, when we do come to him with that mixed bag, is it the positives or the negatives that we're most passionate about? That's the question we gotta ask ourselves. Which are we more passionate about? You know, I I believe that Jesus got the proportion just about right in Luke 17. We saw this story in the, in the, the children's story this morning. He healed 10 lepers, and then he sent them to go get cleansed in the temple. But how many came back to give thanks? Luke 17, 15, and 16 says, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? One in ten. One in 10 is as enthusiastic with gratitude as with complaints. The blessings just slide right on by. Allow me to share a parable from the great American preacher, Henry Ward Beecher. If one should give me a dish of sand and tell me there were particles of iron in it, I might look for them with my eyes and search for them with my clumsy fingers and be unable to detect them but let me take a magnet and sweep through it. And how would it draw to itself the almost invisible particles by the mere power of attraction? The unthankful heart, like my finger in the sand, discovers no mercies, but let the thankful heart sweep through the day, and as the magnet finds the iron, so it will find in every hour some heavenly blessing. That's pretty profound, isn't it? One of God's greatest blessings is answered prayers. With that in mind, let us also remember that giving thanks is one of the best ways to keep count of answered prayers. Generally speaking, our prayers are typically based on our needs. That's where we put most of the focus. But how many of us, when we've devoted hours or maybe even years praying for help, actually take the time to sweep the magnet of thankfulness through our lives to see if God has indeed answered those prayers? Could you imagine if a store like Walmart just stopped taking inventory? What if they never checked the warehouse? The shelves in the store would become empty and they wouldn't get filled. They just sit bare. And you know, it's kind of funny to think about that. No one would do that, just stop checking inventory. But we kind of do that, don't we? When it comes to our prayers, we kind of do that. 
We're constantly putting in orders to God, but we rarely do an inventory. If we never give thanks to God for answered prayers, we will be stuck feeling like we've never been blessed. Near the start of this sermon, I read a quote from William Law's book. But I played a little trick on you because I didn't finish it. So allow me to finish that quote. Here's what I read to you. Would you know who is greatest saint in the world? It is not he who prays most or fasts most. It is not he who gives most alms or is more eminent for temperance, chastity, or justice, but it is he who is always thankful to God. Now for the conclusion. Who wills everything that God wills? who receives everything as an instance of God's goodness and has a heart always ready to praise God for it. Now, for those of us who refer to ourselves as being realists, (laughs) this thought is a tough pill to swallow. We want to see things as they are. We don't want to be wearing rose-colored glasses. But over the years... I've come to understand something about being a Christian. Because of the things I believe in, that hard, pessimistic, and realistic way of viewing things isn't how things really are. If there is, in fact, a God working behind the scenes in our lives, then we've got to believe that whatever things happen to us will ultimately turn out to be blessings. Giving thanks is how we begin to notice God working behind the scenes in this world. This is the reality of the Christian worldview. Behind the scenes, someone greater than us is interceding on our behalf. Gratitude is how we see God's hand in our lives. Now, I think we can all admit we're not all knowing. And sometimes we are quite blind to God's involvement in the world. Some of life's events simply don't have a happy ending. But as a believer, and if you've been paying attention the past two weeks, this is where faith comes in. As a believer, I trust that if God doesn't work it out now in the short term, he's going to work it out then in the long term. Yeah, I guess you could say that's where uh, faith plays a role, but it's also where one of those other things play a role that we struggle with, patience, right? Patience. (laughs) I'll always remember you joking with me on Wednesday nights about the the patience thing. I pray to God for patience, and I want it right now. Do you remember always making that joke to me, Gene? Oh, that's how we are. But the Christian worldview built into it is calling for faith and patience. He's going to work it out in the long run, even if that means waiting until heaven. Giving thanks plants our feet solidly on heaven's ground. 
When we practice giving thanks, we express our assurance in Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We grasp a hold to this promise, even if it doesn't look or feel true in the short term. I realize that's easier said than done. <laughs> and you may be asking, what about hard times? What, what about tragedy? Well, as I said earlier, Jesus is our example, right? Jesus is our example, and Jesus experienced a tragic life in numerous ways. He was born into poverty, and many thought that he was conceived out of wedlock. His family then became refugees, and when they did return home, it was to the struggling village of Nazareth. He works as a carpenter until he's about 30, and then he spends the next years, few years left in his life being threatened and plotted against. And he's then executed at the young age of 33. Taking all of this into account, how could Jesus be so thankful? How could Jesus be so thankful? Even in his most difficult moments, he managed to stay positive. Near the end, his enemies were closing in. One of his closest friends had betrayed him, all while death is staring him in the face. Yet there he was in that upper room, breaking bread and giving thanks to his Father in heaven. He might not have always felt optimistic, but still he thanked his Father. Even though Jesus was facing imminent tragedy, he had faith that the universe was in good hands. And as I just read in Romans, in the end, all things work together for our good. And that's something to be thankful for. Gratitude makes us focus on the good when otherwise we'd be focusing on the bad. It makes us focus on the blessings of God rather than the disappointments that we face. It helps us see possibility and ability instead of just failure and weakness. In my home state of Alabama, there's a little town called Enterprise. Enterprise, Alabama. And in the center of this town sits a strange monument and it's dedicated to a small beetle called the Mexican bull reaper. Now, I know we have a lot, a lot of farmers in the room. Who, who's heard of the Mexican bull weevil? <laughs> and I see a lot of farmer hands go up. I love it. So in the late 1800s, this pest crossed the border from Mexico, and it invaded the U.S. And by 1908, it made its way into Alabama right there into enterprise. And this pest ravaged and almost destroyed the cotton industry in a matter of years. Since that time, it has been estimated that it's cost U.S. cotton producers almost $13 billion. And it remains to this day the most destructive cotton pest in North America. So why would Enterprise Alabama have a monument to this beetle, 
Because at the time it invaded, the community thought all was lost. But because of the weevil, farmers were forced to think outside the box. They had to diversify and grow some other crops. And by 1920, there was a peanut boom. And the entire county benefited from the wealth that those crops brought it. The inscription near the monument says this, in profound appreciation of the boll weevil and what it has done as the herald of prosperity. Wow. (laughs) Now this sounds strange, but it's true. Appreciation for tragedy. Giving thanks can help us realize that some of life's hardest moments were the very ones that prepared us for victory. There won't be any shortages of tragedy in this sinful world. But grateful people know that blessings are sure to follow. God is more powerful than evil. Our friend is more powerful than our enemy. And as Elizabeth Talbot often reminds her readers and listeners, when it's all said and done, Jesus wins. Jesus wins. So let me ask you this. During these currently strange and interesting times, as we move toward that holiday known as Thanksgiving, what are you giving thanks for? What are you giving thanks for? As Christians, we have a lot to give thanks for. We can give thanks that our God is faithful, just, loving, and patient. We can give thanks that he gives us life and an ability to be a light unto the world. We can give thanks that he wants to play an active role in our lives. We can give thanks for the forgiveness that comes from the shed blood of Jesus. We can give thanks that we never have to experience the second death. We can give thanks for God's word that can encourage us in hard times, give us wisdom in difficult situations, and ultimately give us hope in the salvation that we have through Jesus. We can give thanks for community and the fact that no matter whether we are together in person or in spirit, Jesus is our shepherd and he is leading us in his way. We can give thanks for our daily bread, whether that be physical or spiritual, because there are millions of people in the world that don't have that luxury. We can give thanks that through our tithes and offerings, we can help to alleviate the stress and pain for those same individuals as God blesses the funds that we give and multiplies them for his name's sake. We can give thanks that this world is not our home and that Christ is coming soon to walk us into eternity. We can give thanks that our prayers are heard and answered in accordance with God's will. And we can even give thanks for the difficult circumstances in life. As Paul reminds us, those sufferings produce endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. Paul also talks about prayer in a way that transcends a mere action. He tells us to pray without ceasing, to live a lifestyle of prayer. And I believe that gratitude, giving thanks, can be treated in the same way. 
Giving thanks isn't an action as much as it is a lifestyle. We can learn and grow to a point where we give thanks at all times and in all things. As our scripture reading told us, we can give thanks in all circumstances. And I pray that we all strive for that very goal. I pray that we all get to the point where Jesus is the center of why we give thanks. Give thanks for power over sin as demonstrated in the life of Jesus. Give thanks for forgiveness of sin as demonstrated in the cross of Jesus. And give thanks for the victory over death demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus. Psalm 107.1, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Amen and amen.